One thing before I forget, um, after the service today on our way out, um, I'm going to ask Jonathan to, to grab one of those um, blue buckets, and we'll have a, a benevolence offering that we do about quarterly, and that goes for needs in our, our church family, and, and also other needs that come up of those in our community. Um, but also, uh, we're also given an opportunity for a time for the House of uh, not the House of Neighborly Services, but Habitat for Humanity. They have a faith house, so they have one house that's specifically sponsored by churches in the Loveland area, and we also contribute to that, to that. And if you'd like to contribute to that, you can, during the benevolence time, you can use an envelope or a check or whatever, and also just mark uh, faith house or habitat, um, and we'll get that and send that to Habitat for Humanity for that faith house. So. I was sure I'd forget if I didn't say that right now. So, but we let's begin um, and look into our text. There's a couple things that I was reminded of um, in my time to studying this week. Just reminded of in our in our society, um, some values that we have that it's interesting that they're they really um, are kind of butt heads with each other a little bit, and one of those is kind of a growing kind of philosophy or understanding or value, I guess you could say, in our society is that of individualism, our self-autonomy, just the idea of that we are our own self and we also can also define our own truth about ourselves in a strong individualism and also a separation from a lot of institutions. And some of that separation is understandable as there's been um, in different institutions, we've seen them just fail and seen hypocrisy in them. So a lot of the younger generations have pulled away from institutions. So you, you can see that. You can understand that. But one of the things they have pulled away is also from the church. And then the other value you see in our society now is that of community. There is a desire for community. So it's kind of funny, the desire for uh, self-autonomy and individualism, yet community. But we're, of course... We long for community because we were created for community. God created us for community. He's created us to be in fellowship with one another and in relationship. And we see that played out in the, just the picture of the Trinity. And community is meant to be found in the body of Christ, in the family of Christ, in the church. And hopefully um, we are a place where, where people can be drawn in and welcomed to find community here at Calvary Derby Hill and the churches across the front range and beyond. That's why one of our values is that puzzle piece that's on this picture of connecting with one another authentically. And as today we see, as we've been looking in Ephesians, well, we'll talk about the first part of Ephesians 2 pretty quick, but the second part we see there, there is in chapter 2 this whole picture that we, there, there, there is this new community. There's this unity, a new community that's found in Christ Jesus as he is our peace. And we'll see how we, in Christ, become one. And it's this wonderful picture that we're going to kind of see and walk through today. So as we begin, as we look at the first part of our passage in Ephesians 2, verse 11 through 12, Paul calls his readers, the church in Ephesus in that area around there, to remember who you are. Remember who you are. And he calls them remember. Remember, and we'll 
see all of these different things that he calls them to remember. First, in the first part of chapter 2, he called them to remember, really, that they were once dead in sin as individuals. And here we see some other things that he calls them to remember as, as a group of people. So let me read verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by which is called by by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hand. So he's, first he just says remember what he's saying here is remember that you are were are are the uncircumcision which means you are the outsiders essentially. He's saying remember commanding them remember that you were once outsiders of the community of God. You were separated from the people of God and the covenant community of God of that of the Jewish community, the, the circumcised. So we have this distinction of these groups, these two groups. And he says, remember that you were outsiders at one time. Paul in Romans 9, he, he describes a little bit about the benefit that Jews as, as those, of, those that are part of the ethnicity of, of a Jew, of all that they partake in in their heritage. And he speaks about that in chapter 9 of Romans. Let me just read that. It kind of helps us see all that was part of being part of that community as one who is ethnically Jew, of a chosen one of God as an Israelite. This is Romans 9, 4, and 5. It says, They are Israelites. And he, he's speaking of his people. And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. So Jesus himself was Jew, was a Jew, who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. So he's reminding him, hey, uh, you were all outside of all of that at one time. Let me just read from Ephesians 2.11 from the New Living. And it, it often paraphrases and it, it uh, translates in such a way that it's really... Um, kind of an um, interpretation of this passage, and I think it's helpful. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. So the Gentiles, they were rejected by the Jewish community and looked on as, as the uncircumcised heathen. They were looked down on as being called the uncircumcised. Ah, oh, you're outsiders. He says, remember that. And the Jews, they were marked. They had this outward mark of being part of the community of God. And circumcision marked the people of God as being separate, as being called out, as being cut off from sin and, and set apart to the one true God and to holiness. And it was a mark of distinction that was to point them, point all those around them, though, to the one true God, that they might in him too find forgiveness and salvation and truth. So they were to point, but the Jews often turned it on its head and made it such that it was a point of distinction and a partiality where they treated other people as outsiders and even looked down upon. So here Paul points out that those who were speaking of those who said that they were the the circumcised, that that even that was done more, more outwardly in the flesh. It wasn't necessarily, or it didn't necessarily mean that there had been an inward heart change that had happened. That there didn't necessarily mean that their hearts of stone had been made into hearts of 
flesh. It did not mean that they had true faith in the one true God and Yahweh. It could be just an outward thing done by human hands and not done by God, an inward reality that should. They all needed a circumcision of the heart to a change of heart, which we see both in the Old and New Testament. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with your heart, with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. And then Romans chapter 2 speaks about it too in verses 28 and 29. Paul says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one, is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And then Galatians 5, 6 says this, Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So he just reminds the Jewish hearers as well, reminding them that circumcision is more than just an outward thing that needed to be done, but a thing of the heart done by, by God. And it's a bridging of a little bit of a gap for us. So for us too, maybe we've grown up in the church, but our Christian heritage um, is not enough. We need something more than just Christian heritage, our church attendance, our church membership, our even baptism can be an outward thing that, that is done just as an outward act and not a thing of the heart. Even some of you have that testimony, you know, even recently Paul Thomas is just sharing that he was initially baptized just because he, he didn't want to go to hell and he was baptized and that's what people were doing. His bro- was it your brother that was also being baptized at the time and then realized, he realized, I just got wet that day. Um, so there's a change of heart that needs to happen in this, but... The point is, he's pointing to those, those Gentiles that you were once outsiders of this community. And then he continues in verse 12. He says, remember, also remember that you were separated from Christ. You were separated from Christ. They were separated from relationship with Christ. And that is Christ Jesus. Christ is the title of, of Jesus as Messiah, is the anointed one, the, the long-awaited Savior King. So they weren't even looking forward. The Gentiles weren't even looking forward to a Messiah to come and rescue them from their sins, so they had no part of the Messiah Christ. So what a desperate place, though, to be to be without Christ. In my studies, I, I found some old notes that had a quote from, from Charles Spurgeon that um, was one that, as soon as I read it, I was like, oh, this is such a good quote. I remember this, so, so listen in. This is good. He says, there, there is no poverty like it, no want like it, And for those who die so, there is no ruin like it that it will bring without Christ. Let me just read that again. There is no poverty like it, no want like it. And for those who die so, there is no ruin like that it will bring without Christ. So he says, you are without Christ, remember. And then he continues. And he says that they were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of of the promise. So he reminds them, you were those who were alienated. You were excluded from the commonwealth, the citizenship, the community of God. You were outside. You were outside of the promises and the covenants. They were separated from the promises and the covenants as well of God that they were not partakers of the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenant. They didn't know of the new covenant to come 
from Jeremiah and Ezekiel that they spoke of, the everlasting covenant. They were outside of all of this. They didn't know of these things. And then he continues, as we see, that he says, and you were having no hope. They, were, they had no hope. They had no hope of the Messiah. They had none of these promises. They lived apart from the promises of God. And, and ultimately, this is the state that we live in. We need to remember that apart from Christ, we were those without hope. We need to be reminded of that, of what it means to, to be without hope. And sometimes it's helpful to talk to someone who recently trusts Christ and the new hope that they have in Christ and be reminded, that's right, apart from Christ, I have no hope. And I need to be reminded, we need to be reminded, we were once those who were without hope. And then he says, you also without God, you were without God in this world. You were apart from God. I think of this summer how we looked at Psalm 23 about the good shepherd, about the shepherd that we have, who is our God in Psalm 23. And if you remember, I just pointed to an illustration by a man named Philip Keller, who wrote a book, A Shepherd Looks, or A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And he grew up in, in East Africa, or maybe it was North Africa, I believe. And he grew up around shepherds, and then for 10 years he was a shepherd, and he talks about in one place how, if you remember, that there was a shepherd near him who had a pasture near him whose sheep were just horrible because they weren't cared for. They were sick. They were diseased. Their pasture land was poor because their shepherd didn't care for them. But we, if we are in Christ, we have a good shepherd. And we're not now without God, but we're with God, this good shepherd who cares for us. And if we don't allow the one true God to shepherd us, we're letting something shepherd us. And it's not giving us abundant life like it is with God. So he reminds them, you were without God. So Paul, again, just calls them and calls us, really, to remember all of these things, that we too were once apart from Christ, without God and without hope in this world. But then Christ stepped in, has given us great hope and mercy and his kindness shown to us. We talked about that a lot last week and the, the week before that. And we need to be reminded of our life, what our life was apart from Christ. It's good to remember these things and remember the, the abundant mercies and grace that we have in Christ. So remember, he says, remember these things. Remember, too, that we should be humble, remembering that we are without Christ. We are we're nothing apart from him. We so need Christ. So then he continues, Paul does, and he says, remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. Remember what he's done through Jesus. And we, that brings us to verse 13. And then, he, or yeah, that's correct. Verse 18, where he says, but now, but now in Christ. So this is similar. Remember the first half of chapter 2? It said, you were dead in sin. He describes that. Then he says, but now, but now. And then it speaks about the grace that we've received in Christ Jesus, this new life as individuals that we have in Christ. And that first half and how we've been made right with God. And then in the second half, he talks about, Yes, our reconciliation that we have with God, but also with one another. That both Jew and Gentiles are brought in and become one. And so now we see that you're outsiders, but now you've been brought in. As we look at the second half. So, but now, but now, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ Jesus, he begins. He's reminding them there's this new identity, this new reality that they have in Christ Jesus. There's a new position that we talked about last week that happens in Christ, that we're united with him, that we're raised up with him, that we have new life with him. And now in Christ, 
says, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So you were far off, but, but now you've been brought in. And Paul's really described in those first few verses that we read today how far off they really were. But he says, now, now you are, you're brought in. In Christ, everything has changed. The dead are brought to life, and those who are outsiders are now brought in to be the people of God and join in. There's this new humanity, this new society, this new community that's in Christ. And we need to be reminded of that. We're all the same. All of us were once far off, and we've been brought in and brought near in Christ. And we display that. One of the, the really cool things and wonderful things about liturgy and doing the same, some of the same stuff every week is that of communion, where we all come together and we all say, we need Jesus. We're all brought in as one. No one stands more holy than another. And we, we display that every week as we take the bread and the cup and we, we're reminded that Christ died and rose again. And we commune. We do this together with our God, with Christ, and together as a, a body of Christ. We were far off, but we were brought near by the blood of Christ. So we declare that to one another every week. Brought near. In verse 14, for he himself, Christ himself, is our peace. Christ is our peace. True, lasting, eternal. He's a source and giver of, of peace. Think of Luke 2, 14. At the birth of Jesus Christ, the angels came and they declared peace. They said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or Romans 5, verse 1, where Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, peace with God and peace with one another, united as we're going to see as we go through here, that there's a reconciliation even of relationships with one another that we are brought in, all people of all ethnicities. There's no partiality that should be shown within the church, but we're all drawn in peace through the blood of Christ who took upon our judgment, he took upon the wrath of God for our sin that he could give us his peace, peace with God and also peace with one another. Then continues, who, who has made both one, who has made us both one? And has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So the two groups of the Jew and Gentile, they're brought in as one. And the, the dividing wall is torn down. The dividing wall of hostility. And in the minds of the, the readers, they're most likely, they go quickly to that literal dividing wall that was in the temple during that day. And the temple of, that was built by Herod, that sometimes referred to the temple of Herod there, that was built by him. There's this wall of dividing that was found there. This is one description of it. This is the temple was constructed on an elevated platform, and around it was the court of priests. East of it was the court of Israel. Farther east was the court of women. These three courts were all the same at the same elevation as the temple. And from here, there's a wall platform that was five steps away. And then 14 steps away was another wall, which was the outer court of the Gentiles. And there was an inscription on the wall that warning the Gentiles that if they were to, to enter in, they weren't, wouldn't just be arrested, but they would be executed. There's also been 
some, I think both in the writings of Josephus, he points to that, uh, the historian, um, uh, the Jewish historian who wrote of that, but also actual plaques have been found, stone plaques that have this inscription on it, and this is one of the translations for one that's been found over the last, um, I forget, I don't have the date of when this was found, but it, it says, no foreigner, this is a translation of that plaque, no foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade. So uh, uh, you can't go beyond this wall and the palace of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. So there was a literal dividing wall of hostility that they were kept out. And they were not able to go in to the temple. And then it continues in verse 5. We also see, or 15, we see this continued description. It said, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. So we see also this dividing wall, even of the barrier of the law that was torn down by abolishing the law. Both Jew nor Gentile is, is under the law. Jesus fulfilled the law, completely fulfilled in, in his obedience to the law. He lived the life that we could not live, died the death that we deserved in our place. I think of Romans, also in Romans 8, 1 through 2, where Paul says, Therefore there is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. So this was done away with in Christ. And also the ceremonial law that really did separate the Gentiles from entering in to the temple to worship. They were done away with. As we have Christ, the Lamb of God who is the once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. We learned about that in 1 Peter 3.18 and gone back to it many times where Paul, or Peter says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. So all barriers for the Gentiles were torn down, were torn down. That of the law and the physical even barrier there at the temple were torn down. And this is good news that all can enter in into worship, into fellowship with our God. And then he continues as, as we go along here, verse 15, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. So these two these two groups are brought in as one, and there is peace. There is one person, one man. They're brought in. I think of in Romans 11, speaking of how uh, we Gentiles are, are grafted into the, the vine. Um, we are part of the people of God. I think of Paul speaks in Galatians 3 that we are all, when we trust Christ, we're all children of Abraham. We're all brought in to the family of God. There's one body now, not two, but one. There's also, in this, you see this just reversal of the fall. Even, I think of the reversal of, of the Tower of Babel when all are scattered. Now they're, they're brought in as one. I think of Colossians 3.11 that says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slaves, free, but Christ is all and in all. So in Christ there's this new humanity, this new community that we're all one. There's no partiality that that should be found here as we gather. 
And in this new humanity, this new community, Paul also points out of these things that are, are the same, that our salvation is the same, the way we come to Christ is the same, the way that we're restored, our relationships are restored with God. They're, they're the same, Jew and Gentile, everyone the same. We see that in verses 16 through 18. And the first thing we see in verse 16 is that we have the same means of, of reconciliation, the same means of salvation, of becoming right with God and with one another. Let me read verse 16. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So through Christ Jesus, through the cross, through his death and resurrection, we're made right with God. Uh, we're made right with one another. There's a killing of hostility and really a birthing of peace in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's relationship restored, and it's the same means for all people. And also, there's the same messenger and the same message for all people. Verse 17. And he came, Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. He came and, and preached peace. The messenger is Christ and the message is peace. The message is the gospel and it's the same for all people. And no doubt, not all of, him, all of them had heard from the mouth of Christ himself, but all who preach the gospel are representations of Jesus Christ and the apostles who went and spoke of Christ. They had heard these things and they had the same message. So saying you are all come in, you enter into the family of God by the same means through Jesus Christ, through this gospel of peace. And then Verse 18, we see that we all have the same access to, to God through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. For through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit, by one spirit to the Father. So we see that we all come in our access to the Father through, through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can all come directly to God in Hebrews speaks of that in chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we see this. So do you see here in the church, we're all one in Christ. If we have rested and trusted in Christ, we're one. Just as we were once dead in sin, and we've been brought near, we were all once separated and now brought into the family of God. And we all stand in the presence of God by the same means through Jesus Christ. So really in the church, there, there can't be any us and them kind of attitude. And it's really unthinkable, but sometimes we do that. We kind of, oh, they go to that church. Oh, they're us and them. Or, oh, they think this way. Now this is a current situation. Oh, they think this way about masks or mandates. Oh, that's us and them. We can kind of separate. And I remember in, um, in seminary, I was talking with a fellow seminary student, and uh, we were talking about just different understandings of, of our salvation, the work of God. And he said, well, if, pe if someone is, he, this is, he said, oh, if they're in, someone's an Ar Arminian, they, maybe they're, they're not reformed, they might be saved. Maybe not. I don't even know. And he set up barriers. Sometimes we set up barriers between us and other people. Uh, and we forget um, that we are actually one in Christ. And um, unfortunately, uh, this whole idea of, of unity in the church, uh, uh, we haven't done a great job the last year or so, uh, maybe the last of five or so years in that. 
this last week uh, in our email, that weekly email that goes out. And if you don't get that, you'd like to be sign- if you'd like to sign up for that, just let us know and we'll make sure we get your email on that. But I had put a link to a, an article. I put an excerpt of a, an article by Randy Alcorn who uh, wrote this an article called, let me find the title here, called A Pandemic of Disunity, How We Drive the World Away. And I think he did an excellent job of really evaluating uh, this time and, and some ways that we are falling short. We're not acting as those who are a new humanity, a new, hum, new community in, in Christ. And he starts out, let me just read the, the first, he has a quote from Francis Schaeffer at the very beginning, then I'm going to read a little bit of the article. He says, if any, this is the quote from Francis Schaeffer, if an individual Christian does not show love toward other true Christians, the world has a right to judge that he or she is not a Christian. And he's saying that based on the words of Christ, who said that it's through our love that people will know that we are Christians. And through our unity, too, we see in John 17, where Jesus speaks that it's through our unity that, they, that the world will know that the Father sent him and that he is truly the Son of God. So, so there is um, something deeply important about our unity. And then he wrote this. Bear with me as I read a little bit of this. In the 52 years I've known Jesus, I've witnessed countless conflicts between believers, but never more than in this last year. Many have angrily left churches they once loved. Believers who formerly chose churches based on Christ-centered biblical teaching and worship now choose them based on non-essential issues, including political viewpoints and COVID protocols. Churches are experiencing a pandemic of, tr- of tribalism, blame, and unforgiveness, all fatal to the love and unity of Jesus spoke of, that Jesus spoke of. Rampant either or, or I'd say us and them thinking, leaves no room for subtle, um, sub, uh, subtlety and nuance. Acknowledging, uh, I'm sorry, acknowledging, um, the current uh, actual truth in other viewpoints is seen as compromise rather than fairness and charitability. Sadly, it says, evangelicals sometimes appear as little more than another special interest group, sharing only a narrow unity based on mutual outrage and disdain. Let me just read that again. Sadly, evangelicals sometimes appear as little more than another special interest group sharing only a narrow unity based on mutual outrage and disdain. This ascetic, eager-to-fight negativity highlights Schaefer's point that we have no right to expect unbelievers to be drawn to the good news when we treat brothers and sisters as enemies. There's a lot of ways we've been rebuilding new walls of hostility uh, with other brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to, to be united on the gospel and the truth of his word as, we, as has been for, for the last 2,000 years. But may we walk in that continually, even just to, to be humble and hard and see where do I need to ask forgiveness? Where what, have I treated a brother and sister in Christ a way that I shouldn't? Where have I spoken or posted or commented in a way that should have maybe only been spoken 
one-on-one in love and in concern for others. In Christ, we are one, and Christ is that common denominator that he is everything, and without him we are, we are dead in sin, but he came and gave us new life. Let us live as people who are one. And then the last few verses, I'll kind of, I'm probably going a, a little little long today. I know the day I, what the kids are in, I'm going a little long, but sorry about that. We need to know um, that we are one in Christ. Know that we are one in Christ. Let me read, read verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So he reminds them that there is now, now there's this one household, one community, one citizenship. You were once alienated, but now you're not. You're fellow citizens with the saints. He's reminding them that in Christ they are saints, they are forgiven. Uh, they're all part of this one community. This is in Christ. Our citizenship, our deepest, truest citizenship is those who are those who are part of the community of God, of the kingdom of God. That is our citizenship in Christ. And we're saints because of the righteousness of Christ poured out upon us. And we're one household. There's one family, one household. We're brought in, no longer strangers and aliens, but, but brought in as part of the people of God, both Jew and Gentile, people of of all ethnicities, are brought in. There's no partiality in the family of God. John says in 1 John 3, 1, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Children of God. And so we are. So then in verse 20 and, and following, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So he begins to speak about us being as one building or the temple, one temple. Believers, both Jew and Gentile, together, being built together on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The prophets who pointed to Jesus Christ and the apostles who proclaimed him and preached the gospel and built on Christ Jesus, who is the cornerstone. And the cornerstone, that's that key weight-bearing stone on which a building rests. We're built, all of us, together, built on Christ. And then he continues, verse 21 through 22. In whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also were being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He just speaks about that, that we are... Our one temple, we are the dwelling place of God now. The temple in the Old Testament, it was the place where God chose to, to dwell amongst his people and to demonstrate his presence amongst his people and, and where they would go to worship and offer sacrifice. And, and this has all been changed. And now the people of God, the church, are the temple of God. The place of his dwelling is now in our midst as we gather together. So the spirit of God is with us in our midst as we gather, as we as we serve together, even as we scatter and do things out and about together, Christ is with us. It's interesting how those who were once outside of the community of God, not able to enter into the temple, now says now, now you are the temple. Fitted together, tightly fit together. Whenever I think of things, a building fit together tightly. Uh, I think of in Peru, I know the 
um, the Tates know about this, traveling to Peru, but the, the, it, at uh, Machu Picchu, the buildings and walls, that, the ancient walls there, they, they have these stones that are just so tightly fit together that they, they don't have any kind of mortar or um, anything in between. They just cut them to fit together. We're, we should be fit so tightly together. That's how we are meant to be together, this unity, and that where we grow together. So it's not a static building, but, but we grow into maturity together with one another. And as we look at chapter 4 in Ephesians, we'll see more of that as we continue to walk through and see how we use our gifts together. We're called to do ministry and love and encourage one another. So we're reminded um, that we are one body we can't, we also know that and see here that we don't live as individuals when we follow Christ, but we are together. Uh, and we're to do this thing together. So we can't live in obedience and also live apart from a local church body who's gathering together, worshiping the Lord together, and serving together, and serving community, and sharing the gospel together. We can't function as Lone Ranger Christians. There's we're not at individual buildings, but we're tightly fit together, and we should be together uh, and serve together and, and figure out how, how the Lord would have you to serve. And often I say, not, not what is your ministry, but who is your ministry, because, because the church is made up of people. Huh. So we're called to love and serve and, and care for one another. And there's really, I think, a little growth in our walk that will happen if we separate ourselves from the institution of the church that God has established. This body of believers that gathers together. We're called to participate in this. And if we love Christ, we'll love the, the local congregation, the local church as well. And if you know me, you know I, I, love, I love the local body of believers as we gather and as we, we serve together. Even when we served overseas, I just longed to, to also be back as well to be able to serve in a position of just shepherding and loving a local congregation because it's just such a, a beautiful thing that the Lord has. So as we, we think through this and we were reminded, first that we were far off and been brought near through Christ and be made one. And as you think about that, you, there might be lots of different ways that the Lord maybe brings application, maybe that he's calling you to serve in different ways. And there's different ways for for you to be able to, to serve in this body and to love one another and spend time with one another, invite people over, go out to coffee, whatever it might be, or help with Calvary Kids, because we always need help with that. Um, help with greeting and just welcoming people as they come into to our church, and we'd love for you to help with that, or help with outreach as they come, or worship um, as there are opportunities, and just find out how you can serve and be a part. But also, again, who you can pour into. That's part of why we have these smaller discipleship groups and community groups. And, or maybe the Lord has just may put on your heart that you're ready to be all in and just to formally just be a member of Calvary Derby Hill. Maybe the Lord calls you to that. I don't know. There's all different ways. Or maybe this morning you come and you recognize that, that you're still far from Christ. That as you look at your life, you recognize, man, I am without hope and without God in this world. And the good news and the good message is, is that Christ has come. Come, all who are weary and heavy laden and find rest. It says, turn from yourself and sin 
and turn to me and rest in me. So this morning, there's opportunity as well to have new life in Christ. And if you want to even just take that step, just reach out and let us know. Take a card and mark, man, I want to know how it is that I follow Jesus Christ this morning. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for your word that speaks and speaks into uh, every time, every, every segment of history. It speaks into the church today, and we're just reminded that we 